Welcome to the 816 Podcast, Bull City Edition. Today we're going to talk community engagement with Ketty Talmack, a former high school English teacher and instructional coach turned community organizer. I'm your host, Heidi Perez. Let's jump right in. Hello, Ketty. How are you? Hello, Heidi. I am well. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so glad and thankful that you could share this time with us today. Um, I'd like to introduce um, Ketty Talamak, and I'm going to let Ketty tell us a little bit about the work that she does. Hello, and to everyone, my name is Ketty Talamak. I currently work in what we call broad-based organizing. I work for Durham CAN, and it's Durham Congregations, Associations, and Neighborhoods. And what we do is that we look at problems and partner with stakeholders, institutions, associations, neighborhoods regarding these problems. We try to cut a specific issue to develop an ask that we might go to those who perceive that we perceive after a power analysis have the power to make a decision regarding this issue. And we organize anywhere from 100 people, depending on the level of the issue, to as close to 1,000 people we've organized before. Wow. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of hard work for our community. Thank you for doing that for Durham. Absolutely. During our conversation today, We will refer to the Center for Scientific Collaboration and Community Engagement Community Participation Model. This model and information about it can be found at csce.org backslash resources backslash cpm. So I want to share a model of community participation that is from cscce.org. You can find this model on that website, cscce.org. And in this model, they lay out four different modes or types of community participation Mm -hmm. and engagement. And they range from what's labeled transmissive to transformational. Mm -hmm. And so the first type that they lay out is to convey and consume information It's usually structured in one-to-many interactions where one person is sharing and many are consuming. It's meant to inform or motivate, and it often involves things like reading information or watching or listening information. Mm -hmm. And in this type of community participation, the organization or the institution is leveraging their power as experts. And so... The next stage is to contribute. And so this is where a lot of times surveys or folks are asked for input. And this is crowdsourcing information. It's survey, like I said, survey input-based. It's to get feedback. It's to gather information about skills within the group. And it's often circled around activities about commenting on specific items or questions, Mm -hmm. voting or liking or tagging. And in Mm -hmm. this case, the organization or institutional power is as the convener, as bringing people together to gather that information. In your experience, how have you seen the convey and consume and contribute modes of participation operate? In my own work, just as trying to organize an event, we definitely, and around an issue or particular agenda, 
we will organize people so that they can come and hear about it. And we end up having experts there who will convey the information to the, to the group that we've organized so that they can hear. We may have something that they're watching, um, something that they're reading to try to help them to make a, a specific d- decision about it or to see the value or to understand the issue itself. I've also seen where we have in contributing in the aspect of gathering people, you might do it. I've done it where we're trying to get a survey or listening session. So we host these events where we might have anywhere from 20 to 100 people. And what we're doing is we're trying to hear from them. What are some of the challenges? What are they, what may be the things that they're concerned about? And so we're getting information or feedback so that we can help us to frame what we're going to be focused on going after. So those are some key areas right there where I've seen the convey, consume, or the contribute items act out in our work. Okay. The next two stages in the model of the first, the third stage in the model is collaborate. And this is where cooperation between those that come and the organization or group they actually cooperate. They work together. They might both bring resources. They might both bring knowledge to the table. But the important part about collaboration, I think that is a big step from contributing is that they achieve, they're working to achieve a common goal. And Mm -hmm. so there's some work, some visioning around what that common goal is. There's often activities like discussion, exchanging knowledge, maybe producing some deliverables or concrete items. And in its most effective, that cooperation is often scaffolded. How do you see that kind of collaboration work in your work with CAN, Durham CAN? Absolutely. So we have research action teams, right? So there may be an issue that we know. So the end goal or desire, and I'll just pick something, is to provide a day shelter for homeless or those who are unhoused. We've done the research. We've listened to those who are unsheltered. We're finding out where there's actual resources, financial resources to support the building of an an establishment, a day center. And then we're partnering with other churches who are concerned or other organizations that are concerned about this, researching all the details to go get an app from those in power who have the money, such as the county commissioners. Um, And then we will do, what we'll do is gather or convene all of us into a presentation to talk about how can we get this building built? How can we do this? So the county commissioners come with recommendations about how much money they might be able to afford to allocate towards this endeavor. We come with the research that talks about the needs, why we need this, or why we might need more money than they're initially offering us, what the data shows, what the needs are. And so together, because our common goal is to build the data of the day center, together we're collaborating, together we're finding ways to work together to to that end. And so that would be an example. So as you were talking, I really hit on some ideas that you shared. One, the first Mm -hmm. is that you bring to the table those that are impacted by the issue or the project that you're working on. Um, I think that is 100% critical for success mm-hmm. in any kind of community organizing work. You also mentioned having experts at mm-hmm. this collaboration phase and as well as allies. So a wise woman that you and I both know, Ms. <laughs> Mel Sidbury, used to always tell us, 
if you're doing it alone, Absolutely. Doing it wrong. Um, Yep. That's right. And then that the last phase or the last type of community participation is a co-creation model. And at this phase, the power balance shifts to Mm -hmm. the community and that the interactions are led, initiated and led by the community members. Mm -hmm. The case of the project for the day shelter, that would be Mm -hmm. those that are unhoused or homeless. Absolutely. And that this is a the co-creation type of engagement is about creating something new together. And mm-hmm. that requires integration of those mm-hmm. impacted with the right. allies and the experts mm-hmm. and those that are impacted and civic organizations, civic leaders and institutions to bring it to a mutual sharing where Everyone is working on the same problem together. Together. So tell me about how you've seen that in your work. Oh, even pushing further with this, I would say I could give an older example. When we, when I first started working with CAN as a leader, we saw that there was a need, that there was a deficit for our students who were bilingual, especially those who were Latino, Latinx, and Hispanic community. There was a, a... a high dropout rate of students who were not completing high school. And we came to find after we did the research, because as well as the Durham Durham leadership was concerned about it, teachers were concerned, the school board was concerned, as well as the community. And so we started asking questions about why this was happening. And we realized that many of the schools did not have bilingual counselors or individuals in the schools who could connect with the students to encourage them to meet with the parents and the community. There was always a delay in getting someone to be able to come in and sit in on a meeting where they may have some challenges with a student who's not doing what they need to do. So we organized students first who wanted this, who were sharing the information about what they needed. Then we called the school board and had them come and listen. And as they were looking for methods or ways to pay, they were doing their own research and realized that we needed to bring the county commissioners in because they needed money from the county commissioners to pay to to add to the salary so that we could have bilingual counselors in the school. And so we realized looking at the data and the research that this was a problem. And we saw that when students had someone who could communicate with their parents, communicate with them effectively, help them to make clear decisions about advanced academic courses or going on to college, we were able to to solidify the need for these bilingual counselors, establish them in the schools, and then watch how the dropout rate within the Hispanic and Latino community drop it began to reduce. And that's what, that's the element of us co-creating. What do we need to do? We see that our students are dropping out. There's a need. The community is saying they can't communicate when they get to school. Somebody's not there that understands them, their culture and their student. We're doing the research. Well, we need money. The school board says we're all for it. We want it. Where do we go? We all bring the county commissioners in and say, hey, here's where the money is. Watch how the numbers drop once you do this. And it did happen. And Durham Public Schools now today has bilingual counselors in schools because of the work of Durham Camp. Yes, we do. And again, I'll thank you for the work that you do and Durham Can does in, in our community. It's super important work. And so I do wanna go back to, to pu- the idea of public schools 
practices for community engagement. And so one of the things that Ketty didn't share with us is that she was a teacher and instructional coach at CE Jordan High School for many years. Yes, 16, 16 years. 16 years. <laughs> and she's a member of that community as well. Absolutely. And so when you look at your work that you do now with Durham Can, and you mm-hmm. look at the work that you did with in CE Jordan and in Durham Public Schools, where do you see some opportunities for public schools to use practices that will stop perpetuating these kind of barriers mm. to true community mm. engagement, not just family, not just kids, but true community engagement where the impacted, the experts, the allies, and the research come together. Ooh, that's a good one. So there are various different communities that Durham, that the public school system and here in Durham, it's different in various communities, right? I think within our system, sometimes we're more willing to pre- present the facade that we're actually listening to the community and hearing their actual needs. And if we were, we would still bring them back to the table as we try to figure out what are the solutions to help them, to help the community. How can we implement these solutions? And oftentimes, I think the disservice happens that we listen only once. We go back to the table as leadership in the schools and create a solution. We don't go back and visit and test it in the community. See, is this really a solution for your community, for your students, for for this school? And allow them the opportunity to come and say, you know what? This isn't going to work. And I'm going to tell you why. You're missing something here. You're missing this. Have you considered this part? And have you called in like the mentor groups that work with our kids all the time in the community? Have you called in the people who work at the park to sit at the table to understand? Did you call their parents? All, you know, every parent that you can and be intentional about setting up meetings at their schedule, at their availability so that you really get the whole community involved, all partners involved. And then talking and listening to those who have maybe made it out of a community, right? So we have some challenges in the community, but we know students who have graduated, who have gone on to secondary, who have flipped their lives around. We need to bring them back in to find out what was it that worked for you that we did? Or was there something we could have done better that we missed? Tell us how do we do this? And I think that's key for a system in order to do that. We often, I just know that we listen, we say we listen, but we only listen to to hear and then go back and try and make it fit with the plan that we, as and I say we, having been in that, in, at the school level, we decide is what we think they need. And it can't be at every step of the way, we need to keep the community, the parents, every partner at the table, even in developing the solution, testing it, going back to the drawing board again, listening to those who made it out, finding out what worked for them in order to achieve that goal. Yeah, it, as I listened to you talk, it was like, when can we get beyond just the contribute type of community Absolutely. engagement? Um, Absolutely. When can we get to the collaborative part that collaborative. pushes us into co-creation? Absolutely. We don't just need ideas and words. We need the every being that's impacted, that is an ally, that is an expert, 
that is in our civic institution and our, in our schooling institutions to be in on that Absolutely. collaboration. Because I think a lot of times that pushes into that co-creation process. It does. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I think that if we would do that, we could see a shift in so many areas in our school system. I believe that too. And I think in my experience as a public ed educator and instructional leader, one of the voices that is often not even listened, not even asked for contribution is the students. And if there's one thing our students will do is they will tell us the truth. They will, they, tell will. Us they, will. <laughs> they will tell us exactly what they liked and what they didn't like and what they needed and didn't get. Absolutely. Definitely. And so on that note, we will go out with our Durham Public Schools students in our minds and our hearts. And I want to thank you, Ketty, for sharing your time with me and for sharing your time with us this evening. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for sticking around and listening to our conversation with Ketty Telemac, lead organizer for DermCan. You can find out more about DermCan and Ketty Telemac's work at DermCan.org. This is your host, Heidi Perez, signing off.